Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I get the privilege of being the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and I want to welcome you to another brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. I want to thank all the people that were on the hang that we had yesterday. I love doing these hangs because I get to see so many people out there. So if you have joined the hang and you can't wait to join the next one, or you've heard about the hang and you just haven't joined, now is your chance. We're going to do another one February 11th. We can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. You can register for the hang. This is where we get to meet new people. We get to talk about the industry. We get to learn about new things in the industry. Folks, it's a very simple way and a fun way, I might add, that we get to network with new people. So please go to register scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. And again, the date is going to be February 11th at 6 p.m. Of course, we're also doing a special webinar series in conjunction with the Association of Water Technologies. And our next event is going to be January 26th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Our speaker is John Fenton, CEO Sensei. He's been on the podcast before. John has a lot of great information to share with us. He's going to give us some information. He's actually going to give us some things that we can work on right there during the webinar. And then he's going to crystallize exactly what we should be working on based on the information that he gave us. Folks, this will cost you absolutely nothing. Please register by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash business. You will not want to miss either of these events. Folks, one of my favorite places on the planet is Disney World. My parents took me there when I was six years old. And then they took me back when I was a little bit older. And my wife and I actually got married at Disney World. And that's where we spent our honeymoon. We've been back numerous times. I truly believe it is the happiest place on earth. And I love to experiment with customer service issues at Disney. Now, that being said, I don't create my own, but there's always something that happens with customer service. There's uh, somebody didn't get something that they were planning on. Maybe somebody didn't plan enough to get what they were planning on. And now there's somebody there as a Disney cast member, that's what they call their staff, that is in front of them that is helping them solve their issue. And folks, they solve issues like nobody else. Their customer service is second to none. The experience is everything. And everybody that works for Disney wants to make sure that you are having the best experience on whatever platform you're at, whether you're at a park, whether you're on one of their cruises or all the other many things that the Disney Corporation offers. Well, today we are going to talk with Dennis Snow, who used to work for Disney, and he was responsible for creating a lot of these experiences and training people how to deliver them. So folks, I can't wait for you to hear this interview. I had a lot of fun conducting it, so please welcome Dennis Snow. 
My lab partner today is Dennis Snow. How are you, Dennis? I am doing very well here in Orlando, Florida. Well, I'm in Atlanta, and I bet we probably have the same humidity right now. I think we're about 100%. <laughs> At least. Yes, yes, At least yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These, are the, these are the times we survive in the South. <laughs> That's right. The, <laughs> if you live in the South, you got to just be prepared to be wet all the time. Dennis, you and I met at the Association of Water Technologies Business Owners Conference, where you were a keynote speaker there. And, and I got to tell you, I, after I heard what you had to say, I could not wait to get up out of my chair and invite you on this show. And, and you said yes. Yeah, well, I'm honored. I'm, I'm and I really did enjoy uh, speaking with that group. As a matter of fact, great audience uh, seemed very receptive to the service excellence message. So I, I'm honored to be participating in this. Well, there's no doubt about it. Us water treaters, industrial water treaters, we're a service-based industry, and that's what you preach. How do we how do we deliver better service, outstanding service, second to none service, world-class service to our customers? And I think that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's what I'm hoping we're going to talk about. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> well, what I love to talk about. Yeah. So we have six hours, right? We have six hours. I, I think it's going to be a, an eight part series. We're okay, going to do all today. right. There you go. Well, before <laughs> we get started on that, you've got a, a very impressive resume. And I was hoping you would share a little bit of that with the Scaling Up Nation. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. Back in the, the, the late 1970s, 1979, I was in college and decided I was going to take a, a semester break and I was going to come down to work at Disney World for one semester. It was going to be a three-month job and ended up being a 20-year career. But, uh, but I came down and I got a job. I was working on a, an attraction that's not there anymore, but some people may remember this called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I was Captain Nemo. So I started out on the front lines and it was fantastic. And then I got into management and uh, managed different operating areas around the, the company. And uh, there's an internal div training division called the Disney University. That, that's where they do all the onboarding of new cast members and uh, the management training. So I managed that for a few years. Uh, and then we spun off a division called the Disney Institute, where companies would come down to benchmark best practices with us. And then I did that for the last few years that I was with Disney. Then I hit the 20-year mark and decided yeah, that's, a good, that's a really good round number. And I thought I would start up my own training and consulting and speaking business. So that's what I've been doing since then is working with organizations and kind of taking that Disney foundation, the, the, the principles I learned there, and helping apply it in other industries like water treatment, you know, help apply those service principles in other industries. So uh, I love what I do and, and uh, love sharing that Disney story. My office manager was an intern when she was in college with Disney, and she proudly has her master's degree on her wall. Yeah, yeah. And I'll bet she gives great customer service, too. She is fantastic at that. And I hope we're all going to be fantastic at that uh, as we talk today. You know, you can't think of Disney without an experience. You know, you can go to any theme park. A lot cheaper, I might add, but you're not going to go anywhere that you're going to get the same experience as Disney. 
Well, that and that's the 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 magic sauce, you know, really is what Disney really focuses on is we are not selling rides. We're selling an experience. So the rides are a part of it. But you think from you, you think about all the moving parts in planning and executing a vacation to Disney World. That's what they look at as the product. How can we make each part of that experience, you know, from the moment you start planning the vacation to the moment you leave at the end of that vacation, how do we make each step an excellent experience? And that's what's really the differentiator. And, and it's and it's the same in any industry. You know, products are commodities, right? I mean, you know, you think about most products, people have a lot of choices. The only real differentiator is how you make people feel, the experience that you're creating for them. So that's really what they, they, they focus on very, very carefully. We went to Disney in February, and I remember we were in Epcot, and they're doing some construction at Epcot when we were there. I know exactly the construction you're talking about. Well, there was a family that was so excited to ride Test Track. And of course, it was closed. And the family just had a meltdown. And we witnessed a staff member walk across and have a conversation with that family. And almost instantly, the entire expression of the family changed from disappointment to excitement. And I wanted to ask you, because I didn't hear what they said, what would that conversation have sounded like? Well, Disney has terms for everything. It's called turning a tragic moment into a magic moment. And so likely the discussion was, hey, we understand, you, you know, do you want to ride this ride? It's one of the most popular attractions that we have. Here's what we're doing with it. So the next time you come back, this is what it's going to be and giving them a little bit in, of inside information. But they then probably said something like, I want you to go over to XYZ attraction, whatever it may be. And I'm going to call ahead and say the Jones family is on their way. And just give them my name and they'll put you right on to the attraction. They can move you. They'll put you right on. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to do any of those types of things. So it's one of those. And, and, and I can't say that's exactly what happened, but that's likely something along. It, Disney cast members are very empowered to turn those situations around. No questions asked. So you take a family who was disappointed and they're still disappointed that the test track wasn't open. Okay. So, but, but now they've got some inside information, but now they've been given a little extra something special so that they realize, okay, they really, these Disney people really do care about me. And the other thing I love about stories like that one is that cast member didn't have to call anybody to get permission to do that. You know, to to say, hey, go right to the front of the line. I'm going to call ahead, and you know they'll put you right right onto the attraction. Didn't have to call to get approval. They're able. They're empowered to do that kind of thing. I can't help but think a business owner out there is listening and thinking that sounds great. But at what point does an empowered employee go too far, and that creates an issue? Yeah, that's an excellent point, and and my perspective on that is I would rather have them go too far and have to kind of coach on what a more appropriate response would have been than have a very disappointed customer who's not going to do business with you in the future. So that's a, that's a conversation that I would love to have with a with an employee to say I really appreciate how you handled that. 
probably not the best business decision, you know, to correct it than have somebody that, you know, just kind of blows the, the customer off and doesn't really care. So yes, those things will happen. And that's where our role as leader, you know, as a leader really comes into play is, you know, we need to be in constant training mode. And I think the best leaders are, they're in constant training mode about how to handle things. You handled that wonderfully, you know, whatever it may be. You know, one of the questions I used to get asked all the time when I was working there, I still get these questions. People say, how long is the training at Disney? And the answer to that is from the moment you express interest in a job there to the moment you leave, everything in between is training because you're constantly being reinforced about what the, the guest experience is supposed to be. And again, I think that applies to a leader in any industry. And you probably also got questions like, what time is the three o'clock parade at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The what time is the three o'clock parade is a classic question. And, you know, the guests ask wacky questions. One of my favorites, and you probably remember this from the presentation, you know, I would be standing there in my Captain Nemo costume, you know, my, my sailor suit, my sailor cap, and guests would come up, you know, and they'd ask, do you work here? Thinking, yeah, I'm a grown man. Look what I'm wearing. And, uh, <laughs> but the point that was always reinforced with us is that you may have heard these questions. You guess may ask these wacky questions, but like the what time is the three o'clock parade question? What they told that, you know, what they trained us on is what they're really asking is what time does the parade get here at this particular spot? Now, that's a very legitimate question. They asked it in a funny way. But it's a very legitimate question. If they ask me in the Captain Nemo costume, do you work here? You know, what they were really asking is, can you help me? You know, they, again, they asked it in a funny way, but can you, it, the real question was, can you help me? So the job, I think, of an employee in an organization is to look at what's the guest or the customer really asking. I'm sure the technicians, you know, of the people that are, that are listening to this podcast, I'm sure the technicians could have a list of questions that, okay, that's not really what the customer was asking. They really were asking this. And so the idea is to save the person's dignity. I remember from your presentation, you always encouraged us to look through the lens of the customer. And that's, that's what you're saying there. That's exactly what I'm saying is, is you, you've got to look at it through the lens that, that, that question that we've been asked a thousand times, the customer may, they're asking it for the first time jargon that we're very comfortable with. You know, every industry has its own jargon. The customer that you're interacting with, they may be totally uncomfortable with that jargon. They may have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Uh, so what that, what that creates is the need for us in whatever role we play to be present and not be robotic in the way we, every customer, every guest is different. And if you're present in understanding the nuances, the body language, the tone of voice, it makes you tailor how you respond to that customer in a way that's appropriate for the situation. Now, secretly, we can have a laugh afterwards, you know, at, you know, what time is the three o'clock parade questions. But with the guest, you know, the customer, maintaining their dignity is critical. Something else I remember you saying, and uh, my office manager says this all the time because it's in the Disney training, backstage versus on stage. 
And uh, that's drummed into you from the day you join the organization. There is, you know, using Disney, you know, there's that onstage magic and, and everything needs to build on that and reinforce that. Then there's a backstage. There's a physical backstage where that's where the deliveries happen and, you know, the cast member wardrobe areas and the cafeterias and so forth. That's all backstage out of sight of the guests because that would take away from, from the magic. So there's the physical backstage, but there's also the attitudinal backstage where as cast members, you wouldn't complain. You would never eat, drink, or smoke on stage. Uh, you, you wouldn't have uh, inappropriate conversations with a fellow cast member. That all happens backstage. The example that I used in the presentation you saw, and I think it's a powerful example, is you know, imagine you're in the park and you see Cinderella on a smoke break. You know, she's in the park and she's lighting up a cigarette. You know, and your child probably you know probably years of therapy right. involved. <laughs> you know, but it all it all collapses. So there's there's the physical on stage and backstage, but there's also the attitudinal part of it too. That as a cast member, once you're on stage, the show is on. So you think about in a in a water treatment situation, uh, and you look at a water treater on a on a customer's site, you've got to be thinking about okay, I'm in my customer's location. What does on stage and backstage look like and sound like? Your your company vehicle. You know, in many cases for, for a company, more people see your company vehicle than any other type of marketing that you do. So is what customers see in your vehicle as it pulls up to the job site, is it reinforcing the brand the way you want it to be reinforced? And that all goes back to that on-stage, backstage mentality. As a manager, how do you train that? You have to be relentless about it. You have to build it into everything. So, you know, the training really starts with the hiring process. So as, you, as you're interviewing people, the, the, the thing that Disney does, and I always recommend to companies is at each step of the interview process, make sure you're modeling the values of the organization. What you say makes you special, the, the aspects of the brand. Those things are your competitive advantage. So the hiring process really starts the training process. Then the new hire onboarding, you know, talking through why we do what we do the way we do it. This is what creates intense guest or customer loyalty. So when I joined Disney, and, and I remember this very well. Now, keep in mind, this was 1979. I remember very, very well the aspects of here's the legacy of the company, here are the expectations in terms of a cast member. It's not about doing tasks. It's about creating an experience. You know, that was all built into new hire orientation, uh, using a lot of stories and examples. Then when I went for my on-the-job trainer, so you've got a water treater that's out on a job site with a trainer, you know, that's just been recently hired. You know, is that person that's doing the training modeling those service values that you said were important in new hire orientation? And then going forward, you know, as managers, are we coaching people? Are we reinforcing these messages? Is it built into our performance appraisal process? So you take what is important to you as an organization that that is going to differentiate you in the marketplace. And you build it into every process that impacts 
your employees. So, you know, some people sound, well, that sounds an awful lot like brainwashing. <laughs> and I said, well, to me, it sounds an awful lot like good business, you know, to, and, and a little bit of brainwashing doesn't hurt to make sure that people understand this is what's expected. But I, I'll tell you, I'm a big believer in non-negotiables. You know, I know you're the, the folks on this podcast and their companies, they have safety non-negotiables, right? Absolutely. So why shouldn't we have service non-negotiables? You know, because those are the things that are going to create or destroy customer loyalty. So I'm a big believer in non-negotiables. Another item that you mentioned are creating moments of wow for the customer. And it's the little things. You know, when I first started my speaking and training business, I, I was guilty of this myself, that we get enamored with these huge, grandiose uh, wow examples you know, where you really just did something just was outstanding and, and, you know, legends are made of those. And we should look for opportunity to do those things. But what I've really come to realize over time is it's those little moments of wow that make the difference. You know, in your world, uh, industrial customer has an issue, a technician goes and takes care of it. And then that, that customer gets a call the next day from someone on the team just checking in to make sure everything was, you know, was working fine, any other issues, uh, sending an article that's pertinent, giving some advice on how to reduce downtime. You know, all of those are just little things, but you put enough of them together and they add up, you know, little wows add up. So for us, you know, for me, you know, asking if I, if I saw a guest getting ready to take a photograph of their family, hey, can I take the photo for you? You know, so that you can be in the picture, so that the whole family can be in the picture. You know, seeing a child with the Mickey Mouse ears with their name stitched on the back of the Mickey Mouse ears and, and calling the child by name saying, hey, Peter, how are you? And yeah, that would just freak the kid out. You know, <laughs> how did I know who I was? But the parents think you're wonderful. Uh, big thing right now, I've got a, I've got a six-year-old granddaughter that we go out to Disney and, and, uh, she always dresses up in one of the Disney princess costumes and the, uh, the cast members always call her by her princess name, whatever costume she's wearing, they call her by that, that name. None of those cost anything. None of those are big deals. None of them take really any more time or not much time anyway. But those are the things that create the little moments of wow. And so what I would suggest to, to your listeners is collect those stories. You know, Sit down with your team and say, what are some things that you do that just make customers feel you know, that moment of, of, of wow? And you start perpetuating these, these stories. And what's great is when somebody shares a story of how they wowed a customer, everybody else that's listening to that story is thinking, Oh yeah, I could do that. That's a good idea. I could do that. Or hey, I've got a story. And that's how you start building that culture of creating moments of wow. One of my favorite reasons to either cruise with Disney or go to one of the parks, my wife and I love finding hidden Mickeys. And from your presentation, I learned I wasn't looking in all the places, and it's just opened up a whole new world for us to look for <laughs> hidden Mickeys in. We were always looking yeah. in the architecture. And you shared that uh, at the Tower of Terror, when you're in the boiler room, 
that there's a, there's some rope that's coiled up as a hidden Mickey. And ever since you said that, we found so many little things that you know somebody did for free that just changed the experience of us waiting in line. And that's the point: is nobody likes to wait in line, right? So let's do something about it. Now you're going to wait in line, you know, but over the years, they've done a number of things to, to minimize as much as possible the wait times. But one of the things that they've done is let's give people something to do while they're waiting in line and, you know, putting entertainment in there, doing pre-shows. But one of the things that they came up with was these hidden Mickeys where, yes, it is built into the architecture as well. But it's also just those little things like the rope coil that you talked about. And so people are looking for things. There are non-Disney websites dedicated to tracking hidden hidden Mickeys. And so while people are waiting in line, they're, they're, they're looking for these hidden Mickeys. And some people get pretty creative about what they think is a hidden Mickey. And I thought, eh, no, it probably isn't, but you know, <laughs> thanks for thanks for trying. But the whole idea was going back to let's take a negative aspect of the experience and put a positive spin on it. Well, I tell you, they have an art of waiting in line. And, and I know there's a secret handshake when you ride the new ride of resistance. So we can't talk about that. But, <laughs> but pretty much the entire ride is you waiting for the next thing to come up. I mean, that is just fantastic how they, how they interweaved the waiting in line with the actual ride. So one of the things that I would recommend to your listeners is to look at the processes of dealing with your company and look at what, what are the potential points of pain? Because every in, in any industry, there are points of pain in the processes, and, and it doesn't matter what industry it is. There are, are potential pain points. And one of the wonderful ways to differentiate yourself is to look at those potential pain points and say, what can we do to at least alleviate some of that pain. Maybe not, maybe, maybe we can't eliminate it, but to at least alleviate that pain point. You know, you think about a doctor's office and you're sitting and you're waiting in the doctor's office. Your appointment was at one o'clock and now it's 1.15, now it's 1.30. And you're just sitting there waiting and wondering what's going on? You know, when are they going to see me? And all it takes is just one of the uh, receptionists or one of the nurses to periodically just come out we're running a little bit behind. It's probably going to be, be about 10 more minutes. Just wanted to let you know. Um, if you need to reschedule, let us know. See, now they're taking that pain point. They've acknowledged it's a pain point and they're doing something about it. So Dennis, again, using your words, we're always trying to look through the customer's lens. How do we get buy-in for everybody to create that experience? Well, again, we have to be relentless about it and train people on it. And, and what happens is if, if you are relentless about it uh, as leaders and people understand this is non-negotiable, that's where the buy-in really begins, where it, turn, it, it goes from a flavor of the month customer service improvement program to know this is the way we do things. Uh, the best example that I can think of from, from my days, and I think, again, it applies in your world. Uh, there's a concept that we call everything speaks, that every detail either enhances your brand or it detracts from the brand. And you want every member of the team to be thinking, are the details saying what they're supposed to say, just from their appearance as they're on a, on a site. 
But the best example of that from my, from my days was picking up trash off the ground. The number one compliment that Disney gets is how clean the place is. You know, you, know, you build these $100 million rides. The number one compliment that they get is how clean the place is, uh, which I guess from a design perspective could be frustrating, but, but that's it. And the reason for that is certainly they have a custodial crew. You know, there's a custodial team. But every single cast member, from Captain Nemo to the vice president of marketing, one of the key parts of our job would be if we saw a piece of trash on the, on the ground, it was your job to go over and pick it up and throw it away. It was non-negotiable because we knew that the cleanliness of the park is the number one compliment. And so you just start doing it because it's so ingrained in the culture because it's reinforced over and over and you see your 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 manager doing it you can't help yourself and and it gets weird because you start doing it in other places yeah you're in a mall and you, you see a piece of trash on the ground you go over and pick it up and throw it away one of my one of my favorite photographs one of my all-time favorite disney photographs is a photo of walt disney at the, in Disneyland, it was probably taken around nine, the late 1950s, and it was a photo taken of him, unbeknownst to him, and he was picking up trash off the ground and putting it into a trash can. And I thought, okay, that is—I mean, does training get any better than that? You know, does it get better than that? And so, you, that's the way you get the buy-in to things like everything speaks and the paying attention to detail is it has to weave into everything that touches the, the, the employee where they see, okay, this is part of the culture. It's not a program. It's the culture of the organization. Dennis, any other advice you have for us for communicating the right message throughout the company? Yeah, I, I would say from, a, again, a leadership perspective, there, there's two things that I would uh, like to stress here. That, uh, that, I, that I think are important for any leader is number one, in terms of communication, you know, well, I, I would say the three things, be relentless. And I, I've already talked about being relentless. But number two, never let the coaching moment go. You know, when something happens, uh, you know, there's a problem with a guest interaction, you know, uh, one of your employees didn't do something the way they were supposed to do it, you know, and the guest was up, or the customer was up, upset about it. Never let the coaching moment go. Coaching is real-time training. So, you know, one of the best things that we can do, and, and when you look at coaching, you know, it's, it's not about scolding somebody. It's about teaching somebody. And so reinforcing what we're trying to create as an organization, what happened in this situation, and how that was a disconnect from what we're trying to create in the organization. What needs to change, you know, going forward? So what's the learning from this? And a check-in, you know, let's say, well, let's get back together in a couple of weeks and just see how things are going. And that tells people it wasn't just a chat. But the main point I would say with this one is never let the coaching moment go. And then the third element that I, I think is, is very important in terms of communication is never let the recognition moment go. When you hear about something that somebody did, you get a call from a customer complimenting one of your employees, you get a letter, 
another team member shares an example of something that somebody did. Taking the moment to say, that's who we are. You know, I appreciate how you handled that difficult situation or whatever it may be. That's worth its weight in gold. Trust me, they go home and tell their families about that. I think we underestimate the impact that appreciation has on an employee's morale that, you know, they literally do. They will tell their families about, you know, hey, I got caught, you know, my boss heard about this and said this and boy, did that feel good. So, you know, be relentless in reinforcing the message. Never let the coaching moment go and never let the recognition moment go. As you teach these systems to other companies, I'm sure you have a whole host of stories that you can share with us. I'm curious, what's one of your most extraordinary stories with working with companies? There's a lot. There are a lot of things that I'm always amazed at when I go into companies. But there, there's one that I, I, I kind of use as my my role model. It's a bank called First Financial Bank Shares, and they will not mind me mentioning their name. They're based in Abilene, Texas, uh, First Financial Bank Shares. They asked me back in 2005 to come in and help them to work on their service culture. They used my book, Lessons from the Mouse, at first, and then they asked me to come in and do some consulting work with them and help help them set up a strategy. And we put together a pretty extensive, it's a fairly big bank and with many, many branches and many employees. And their level of commitment from the top of the organization throughout was unbelievable. So this was 15 years ago and the systems that we put in place, they are still using. I stay in touch with them and they're still using and their 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 new hire orientation, their ongoing training, their performance appraisals, their hiring process. While the elements have evolved over the last 15 years, their commitment to the strategy has stayed in place and they're constantly rated one of the top banks in the country, one of the top community banks in the country every single year. They usually flip between one and two. And it all goes back to the level of commitment has just been amazing. So when I see that in an organization, that's when I know this is going to work. Working with all of these companies, have you noticed something that they all have in common? Absolutely. It's the commitment from the top of the organization. That's, that's the make or break, is when the senior team, and particularly the senior leader, when she or he is totally bought in, that's when you know it's going to work. And when, they're, when you meet with them and they're not totally bought in, that's when the strong probability, this is going to be a fa- flavor of the month, and when it gets hard, which it will, they're probably going to abandon it. So the commonality that I see companies that really do institute a a strong, sustainable service culture, it's when the top person is really bought in. And funny, can I share a funny story? Absolutely. I did some work with an organization one time, and they invited me to do this kickoff to the service initiative that they were beginning. And uh, I was trying to get a hold of the CEO for weeks in advance to have a conversation with him about about this and get his uh, 
perspective on everything. And uh, so I was going to, he was going to kick it off and then turn it over to me. Never returned my calls, never returned my emails. So I met him on the day of the kickoff. We had, you know, six or 700 people in the audience and he walks in at the last moment. And I said, hi, Tom. I knew his name was Tom. I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, I'd be doing a whole lot better if I didn't have to waste my time on things like this. <laughs> and I just thought, let's just cancel this. because this, And I didn't say that because they were paying me a lot of money. But I, I thought, just let's just cancel this because this is not going to, into, going to work. And he got up and gave one of the most uninspiring talks that I've ever heard. And it was just one of those things that I thought, all right, this is the flavor of the month program. Now, how do you keep your motivation to keep going? I hope that I can touch at least some of the people in the audience in a situation like that, where regardless of that lack of commitment from the top, that there are some people in that group that are going to take it and run with it in their own sphere of influence. Because we all have our own sphere of influence, whether you're in a management position or if you're an individual contributor, there's all, there are always things we can do. So in that kind of circumstance, that's what I'm going for is there. Are, I know that there are some people in this group who are going to buy into what I'm talking about and they're going to do something about it. Well, let's explore that a little bit because I'm pretty sure there are some technicians listening to this podcast out there and they're thinking that the things that they're hearing on this show just sound great, but they're wondering how they're going to go to their boss and sell what we're talking about. What advice do you have for them? Well, I would say, you know, buy my book, send it to the, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I would say that, first of all, look at your sphere of influence. You know, what are the things that I can do myself to put these things into place? Because sometimes that's where it begins. It can begin with some of those just day-to-day actions that an individual starts but then to start sharing ideas, you know, if they have their Monday morning huddles or, you know, the, those types of uh, team meetings to say, hey, uh, you know, I listened to this podcast and, you know, there were some pretty good ideas in it. You know, here are some of the things that I heard. What do you all think about this? And, you know, to, it's to sort of a grassroots building of it. But at the same time, I would also say, you know, there may be those circumstances where it's just going to impact that one person. And if that one person enjoys their job and feels the satisfaction of delivering excellent service, there's some real value to that. You know, there's some real value to that. But in terms of moving it up the organization, I think it's a matter of just communicating and providing resources, you know, the, a copy of this podcast, you know, those kinds of things to, to start whittling away at some of the resistance that, that may be there. Always know, and, and I'm speaking to the technician right now who may be having that thought about, you know, well, you know, what can I do? There are always things that we can do as individuals just in our interactions with our own customers. I think that's great advice. Now, you mentioned your book. Uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about your book? Yeah, I, I, one of my books is called Lessons from the Mouse. And, you know, obviously it's, you know, based on my my career with Disney World. And what I did was I, I took 
10 key lessons, like never let backstage come on stage. What time is the three o'clock parade is not a stupid question. Little wows add up. And I, I came up with these, these 10 concepts that I thought th- these were at the heart of what made it work. And so I wrote lessons from the mouse with the idea of here's a key customer experience principle. Here's what it meant for my days at Disney. And that's where a lot of the humor and the fun comes into it. Here's how I've seen it apply in other organizations. And then at the end of each chapter is a series of questions to actually apply it to your own role. So as an individual, you could apply it to your own role. Some companies use it as a as the the questions as meeting thought starters, you know, never let backstage come on stage. Well, what's backstage and on stage in our organization? What are the things that could detract from the brand in our organization? And it provides them some discussion points that managers and people can, you know, some people have used it in company book clubs and so forth. But the idea is to take these 10 core customer experience principles and how do we apply them in our world? It was a really fun book to write, too, because it, you know, thinking back on it, it made me think back to some of my early days working there and, and the, the stories and that really touched my heart, you know, through that 20-year career. And you were telling me before we started recording that you had the intention that if somebody got on an airplane, that they could finish it before that plane landed. Yeah, that was the way I wrote it. I wanted it to be a fairly quick read. So each chapter is not a long chapter. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what I did is I wanted it to, in terms of length, if somebody got on a plane and was you know, flying across the country, they could, they could finish the book. So it's not a big, you know, it's not a New York phone book uh, book. It's, it's a pretty quick read. See, I think you sold a couple copies just with that. <laughs> That's the way I like to read, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll make sure to have a link for that book on the show notes page. Uh, I've got some lightning round questions, but before we get there, I've got one last question uh, in this section. And uh, if someone just tuned in right now, what's the bottom line? What's the one thing you want the Scaling Up Nation to get from our interview? Yeah. It's the difference between a task mentality and an experience mentality. If people could just keep that in mind, you know, every job has tasks that need to be completed and we've got to do those and we've got to be good at those. But an experience mentality takes it to a different level uh, that now we're talking about the relationship that we're building with the customer. Because when we do what we do just with a task mentality, our customers feel processed. And it's really difficult to feel that loyalty factor when you feel like, you know, they've just kind of processed me through a system. Where if we do what we do with an experience mentality, our customers feel valued and valued customers stay loyal to you. So, I mean, that's a discussion that you could have with a team. That's a discussion that is a thought process. You could just pull out a piece of paper and say, okay, I'm doing my job. What's What's the difference between a task approach and an experience approach? But that's the difference. That, that's what differentiates a person and an organization is when they see like the, the, themselves as, I'm part of the experience of working with our organization. 
Well, Dennis, this has been very enlightening. I know that you've inspired many people to not just go out there and do the task, but to create an experience. And I'm really curious to how people take this message and run with it. If I get any feedback, I will definitely share it with you. But before I let you go, I do have the famous lightning round to take you through. Okay. All right. All right. So you have the ability to go back in time and speak to your former self on your first day as a trainer, as a consultant. What advice would you give yourself? I would say make sure you have a story that represents the concept that you're trying to communicate. Because the concepts, you know, are usually data driven and they are important, but stories are what bring the things to life. So if somebody, let's say a technician is making a recommendation to a customer on a particular product or how to keep a problem from happening in the future, whatever it may be, yes, to provide the technical information. But what's the story behind that? You know, I had a customer, you know, not too long ago that had this issue. So this is what they did. And I tell you, it increased the life of that product by X, Y, Z. You know, if you're a a, a leader and you're, you know, you're talking to your employees and you're saying, okay, this is a, a, a process we're putting in place. This is a policy we're putting in place. But having a story that gives life to that on why this is important. So if I had to go back in time and, and do th- you know, do something different at the very beginning, I wouldn't focus just on the concepts and the data. I would make sure I had a compelling story for everything that I was communicating. So I'm curious now, same question, but now you're going back to your first day at Disney. What advice would you give yourself? Oh, that's a really good question. My first day at Disney, what advice? I would say volunteer for everything that nobody else wants to do because that's where the fun comes into play is getting to do different things and getting to be known as the go-to person. I had a guy that I worked with who, when I first started working there, who was, his name was Tony, and he was just like that. He volunteered for every, I don't know if he ever actually did his real job. He was always doing these cool other things. You know, he was, and so I would, if, if I were to go back in time, I would say, Dennis, volunteer. You know, if they say, we need somebody to do this, I'm your guy. We need somebody to do this, let me at it. That's probably what I would have done earlier on in my career. I love that advice. I'm reminded by a story, uh, a good friend of mine's a Chick-fil-A operator, and he was telling me that one of the least favored jobs is to put on the cow costume and go out because it's hot. (laughs) It's hot. Nobody wants to do it. Well, somebody volunteered to do it reluctantly. And there was a young girl, I think she was battling cancer. And you know, just interacting with the cow just made her day. She was smiling, made her happy. And that just, you know, made the person wearing that cow costume, you know, so appreciative that that she said, yes, I will put that cow costume on. And because of that story, now they've got to fight people to put that costume on. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, managers, you know, leaders, they love people who are willing to step up and say, I'll do that. That's how you get noticed. Yeah, absolutely. What are the last few books that you've read, Dennis? There's a, actually the, the, the most recent one kind of connects with what I was just talking about in terms of stories. There's a, there's a wonderful book 
Uh, I don't know how long it's been out, but it's called Story 10X, meaning that stories can increase the power of what you're sharing 10 times by Michael Margolis. Very good book. And, and really, it's not just, it's not a storytelling book. It's about, you know, how do you share the story of your brand? How do you share the story of your leadership style? How do you share the story of this, this project that you're trying to implement? And it, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And it, what it really does is it, it brings the, uh, the emotion back into it. You know, too many times I think we're try, we take emotion out of business. And I think one of the secrets is to put emotion back into business. So that was an excellent book. Another wonderful book, um, called it's called The Infinite Game. Have you heard of that one by Simon Sinek? I have heard of that one. Very, very good. And, and what he talks about that is that the world-class organizations, they don't look at you know, just the short-term metrics. They look at what are we trying to accomplish as an organization? What's going to outlive me as a manager or as a CEO? You know, where are we trying to go versus the concept of what's the number we got to hit this month? And not saying that the number isn't important that we have to hit this month, but what's going to ensure that we continue success in the right is the bigger picture. You know, we've got to look at it as the infinite game, not just the monthly score. Wonderful book. And then another one that I, that I read because I saw the play uh, is Hamilton by uh, Ron Chernow. It's a big book. It's a, it's a, it's a long book. Uh, you're not reading this one on one plane flight. <laughs> you're not the first person to, to mention that. Several guests have, have read that because of the play. It is very, very good. And I've learned a lot about it. I did. I have to, I have to admit, I didn't know that much about Alexander Hamilton. And very impressive book, very impressive uh, story. And I'm probably... Uh, close to three quarters of the way through it now. So by January, yeah, I should be done because it's a long book, but very, very good. The last guest that brought up Hamilton, I shared with, uh, I work with some middle school kids at my church and, and at, at the camp, we were just doing silly stuff and, and somebody got on piano and I sang the King George part. And, and I've had so many requests from people in the Scaling Up Nation. They want me to do that on the air. And folks, I'm not going to do that because you'll stop listening to the show. <laughs> oh, you should do it. I mean, that is such a great, that's such a great song. And I mean, that, that part in the play just, I think, makes the play. I, I totally agree with you. So, well, speaking about plays and, and movies, when they make a play or movie about you, who plays you? Yeah, of course, I would love to say, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, uh, and some of your younger listeners may not recognize, well, they may recognize the name, but they, they may not really know who it is, but Jimmy Stewart. I love Jimmy Stewart. And the, the reason I would love him to, you know, if he was still alive, the reason I would have loved to have him play me is most of his parts, here's a nice guy trying to do the right thing. And I just love just his cadence, you know, his, his attitude, how he treated people. Uh, you know, here's a nice, you know, I wish, you know, he's long gone, but if we could bring him back, uh, he would be the one that I would say, I would love him to play me in a movie. 
Well, I think you could do voiceover work for Norm MacDonald. Has anybody told you that? Yeah, I have, I have heard that many times. That's funny that you say that. So my last question for you, you now have the power to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Well, and it's going to sound like an obvious answer, but Walt Disney. A lot of people will say, did you ever work with Walt? And I always say, how old do you think I am? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was seven years old when Walt Disney died. But I literally owe my career to Walt Disney. And, you know, I've got all the books and I, I've, I talked to many people who did work with Walt and there's nothing that I enjoy more than sitting down and hearing them share their Walt stories. But to be able to sit down with Walt Disney and just say, you know, just ask, how did you do it? How did you, what was going on in your mind when, you know, you were in year three of creating Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and you were running out of money? What was going on in your mind? You know, that day that Disneyland opened and things were going, one thing after another was going wrong. What was going on in your mind? You know, how did you keep the energy of the team? You know, how did you perpetuate all of this? Just to, to have an hour of sitting down with Walt Disney, with man, that would be an hour that would be a highlight of my life. Well, I appreciate you sharing some of those stories with us here today. This was a lot of fun. I know that you have helped a lot of people. You've inspired people to not just do tasks, but create experiences for their customers. And folks, I got to say, if, if you're creating experiences for your customers, they're probably not going to care so much when they get that few dollar price increase because they know the value that you're bringing. So thank you so much for helping us out with that. It has been my absolute pleasure doing this. And you are a wonderful interviewer. You made this very easy. So I appreciate that. Well, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for coming on the show and uh, 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 buy the book. We'll have it on the show notes page. I think every, it's a short read. So you can, uh, you can say that you've read it without you know reading something like Hamilton and you're going to get a lot right. from it. <laughs> Dennis, thanks again for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I know I learned a lot. I learned something every time I go to Disney. I want to thank you for writing your book. There's so many little nuggets of tips in that book that you can very easily read, as Dennis mentioned, on an airplane ride. And if you're not going anywhere on an airplane, it's not going to take you very long to read it. And it will give you some very simple things that you can start working on in your companies to enhance the experience for the end user. I did this with my team. We really enjoyed comparing and contrasting how we did things to how Disney does things. So folks, if you go to my show notes page, you can link directly to an Amazon affiliate link for Dennis's book. And Dennis, again, I want to thank you for helping elevate the customer service bar in the water treatment industry. Nation, something we're trying to do with James McDonald is help us raise the bar in the water treatment industry. And each and every week this year, James is going to challenge us with James's challenge. So here, once again, is another installment of James's challenge. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. 
James McDonald here for your next challenge, James's Challenge. As a reminder, during 2021, each week on Scaling Up H2O, you will hear my challenge of the week. There will be a variety of challenges from large to small, but the goal is that by the end of the year, you will become a better industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop. James's Challenge of the Week is... Clean, organize, and update your water testing kit and equipment. You don't want it to look unused, but you do want it to look respected and professional. One's tools are a reflection upon them. A dirty test kit with broken parts, illegible labels, and outdated components does not typically instill the greatest of confidence in those that see it. Show that you care about your profession by caring about your testing tools. Please consider sharing your experience on LinkedIn, tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. I look forward to hearing about your experiences. Nation, I hope you are enjoying these challenges. I hope they are making you grow. And I really hope that you are sharing your experiences with social media so we can all enjoy them together. Folks, one of the things that I want to make sure that you do each and every week is do a little something that pushes you to become better at whatever it is that you deem you need to become better with. I know a lot of times we will see somebody have success in a certain area and we'll just think, oh my gosh, I can never get to that level. Well, I want you to know that that thought is false and you can rise to whichever level you desire if you put in the legwork. But I want you to realize that you've seen the results of the person that you're looking at and all of the legwork that they put in. So you're not going to achieve that overnight, but you can achieve that one day at a time, one task at a time. And when you start looking at it like that and you start figuring out what are the tasks that you need to do to achieve what you want to become, then it becomes bite-sized and you are able to accomplish it. So I hope you're thinking about those things. I hope you are talking to somebody else about those things so now they can help hold you accountable. There's just something magic that happens when you tell your dreams and aspirations and what the goals that you have to meet those dreams and aspirations, that it just brings them to life. And now it's out of your head. It's in the public view. And others are going to help hold you responsible that you're going to get those things done. That probably scares a lot of people, but I tell you, that is the magic sauce of getting things accomplished. I hope you are going to try some of the things that Dennis mentioned today. I know when you elevate the bar of customer service and people feel that they are appreciated, that they are getting from you something that they can't get from anybody else, that's going to be a customer that you're gonna have for a very long time. And folks, I also hope that you join us next week on a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O.